0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the McShin Recovery Podcast, Get in the Herd. Uh, We are here today. I am Nathan Mitchell, and I realize it's a little different today. We got this change up behind us. Uh, We're doing things a little, little different. We're doing it remote and seeing how we do that. So forgive me, I might be a little off kilter today. So I'm Nathan Mitchell, person in recovery. I'm the outreach director of the McShin Foundation, and I'm your host today, we are very, very fortunate to have with us in the, well, I'd say in the studio, but I guess in the stream yard here, um, Tim, Kim, Tim Kilcullen, I love the name, by the way, it's, a, it's, it's hard to say, but Tim Kilcullen, who's running for uh, House, of, uh, House of Delegates in the 49th District. Tim, welcome to the show, and tell thanks. us, why are you running today? Well, th- thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. So I'm, I'm running for
1: the 49th district. So that's uh, Bailey's Crossroads to Crystal City, which is where I'm from. Uh, and I, I decided to get in the race when they were building the, uh, which they're nearing completion on the Amazon headquarters, uh, which uh, HQ2, it's going to be their uh, their second big uh, big office complex. What people might not know is that's being paid for with $750 million of taxpayer money. And this was the time our businesses were getting locked down. Things are not great in Crystal City with the, with the schools being shut down. They're finally opening up this year full time. They have not been last year. And I was not okay with them giving special treatment to this big business. So I decided to jump in the race. and I've, I've really been enjoying it so far.
0: Well, excellent, Tim. And uh, glad to have, have you here on the show to talk. Uh, I know that you're in a... I know you're in Crystal City, well, and, and that that district. I'm familiar with that district, and I know that the current delegate has been there. The incumbent, he's been there for what ten years? You just told me. Um, what makes it important now? You know, yes, I see with the with the Amazon, but what makes it important now, as far as the recovery community goes? What do you know about us? What do you have uh, knowledge about? What can we help educate you on? And what are what are your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, yeah. So great question. Um, I think the lockdown has been really devastating for the, for the recovery community for addicts. Um, we just were getting out of the epidemic. I was working in Worcester in 2018 in Massachusetts. Hmm. Uh, and that was one of the epicenters for the opiate epidemic. Uh, the, the ruin that it did to that, uh, that community was, was horrible. Uh, and people were just getting their lives on track, just getting out of that, when this lockdown hit, when the pandemic hit, and I think it's dragged things back, of uh, 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 ten, five years, ten years. So I'm uh, I'm eager to hear about uh, about solutions to get us back to where we were in 2019 when it looked like we might be over the hump.
0: Yeah, well, and some of, some of the problem too is that the drugs are just getting stronger, and the fentanyl epidemic, you know, coming into the mix and being. Being put into so many of the the other substances, poly substance uh, uh, overdoses and deaths. So, why now? What were you doing? What are you doing in your day to day life? I know in Virginia the General Assembly is a part time gig. You know, um, I know that doesn't pay the rent or the mortgage in Crystal City. What's uh, <laughs> what are you doing in your day job? And you know, what what's what do you bring to the House of Delegates?
1: Okay, so right now I'm I'm a law student at at Mason at the Arlington Campus, okay. but my my background is in populist activism. So I worked in in Pennsylvania, in Ohio, in Illinois, in Massachusetts, on various uh, various campaigns, um, working to you know fight big corporations, working to cut taxes, and now with COVID, working to open up our schools on uh, Protect the police from being defunded. Issues like that. So uh, I've I've been in this fight for a while, but this is the first time I'm actually running for office. So it's it's been a real experience,
0: but a, a positive one. Yeah, and and you you brought up the defund the police, and that's a that's I know that's it, the the terminology. I think is the worst terminology they could ever have used because my understanding and and my belief, you know, is not so much. This is Nathan, not McShane. But you know, when we talk about defunding the police, what, what I see as the need is to actually fund um, better crisis, you know, st- stabilization units, um, better, better first responder, you know, better, better training all around to ensure that. And this happened in Reyko a couple of years ago. You know, there was a police response to a psychotic episode happening a woman it was actually not even it was a. it was a a wellness check of a woman in her own house and the police uh responded to it the wellness check came into the house and the woman had barricaded herself into her own bedroom and when the police broke down the door she came at them with an axe and then she you know was shot and killed as a result and and I'm, I'm not saying the police did the wrong thing in that instance but i think training could have changed the outcome on that a lot. And so when I hear defund the police, that's what I hear. And it comes to play with a lot of substance use disorder too, you know, because it's often, you know, individuals who are going through some sort of psychotic break, whether it's a co-occurring, you know, issue um, when it's, I mean, that's, it's always a co-occurring issue, you know, with a substance use and a mental health breakdown happening at the same time, a police response often aggravates the situation if it's not properly responded to. So I think it's training. I know I know that defund the police is a stupid phrase, um, but I think the, the, the response should always be, you know, we need to make sure we're properly training, properly ensuring that the right people are responding. You know, it's why the Marcus Alert system, I think, is fantastic here in Virginia right now. And I think that's going to help with a lot of mental health crises. So what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I, I, I know it's, it's pretty popular to say don't defund the police or defund the police. But like when we're talking about actual issues, you know, oh. Yeah, well, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I don't
1: want to defund the police at all, but that doesn't mean we can't also fund alternatives. Uh, I mean, this we got to remember, addictions is an illness. You're not trying to punish anyone. We're trying to help people. Mm. Uh, But my my biggest concern right now is the Arlington Public Schools had initially voted to get rid of their uh, student resource officers, and I was deeply concerned that this would lead to the kind of... uh, Epidemic stuff that we saw in Worc- that I saw in Worcester in Massachusetts, that luckily wasn't an issue in our schools uh, in Arlington. Luckily, they seem to have backtracked on their plan. But I certainly think there needs to be some kind of police presence in our schools, uh, especially if we don't want the epidemic to come here. But you're right; it should never be punitive. We and we always want more training, more investment in uh, in helping people because that's that's ultimately the goal.
0: Well, I'm going to hold you to what you just said, because because as a lawyer, as a as a as a as a soon to be lawyer, you may or may not be aware that a Schedule One, Schedule Two narcotics possession charge in Virginia, uh, just a possession charge faces a felony up to 10 years in prison. That's what the law is in Virginia. Now, there are states like big, big liberal bastions like Alaska. You know, like Iowa, that and Oklahoma, big liberal places. No, 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 conservative bastions that have decided, for different reasons, that felonizing is not the way to go, and have started the process of making these misdemeanors. Uh, there's a state I just got news about, and I, I don't, it's, I forgot to write it down, but it, it, like we're in the process of looking at how we can turn the felony into a misdemeanor, which has a trickle, a trickle up effect on, you know, reducing the problems of barrier crimes, et cetera, et cetera, but also people getting the help they need.
1: Oh, absolutely. Virginia has a, has a real issue because on the one hand, the penalties are pretty harsh. The uh, There's a lot of stuff that's criminalized. On the other hand, there's a lot of non-enforcement and non-prosecution. Hmm. So it's created this weird, like, two-tiered system where on the one hand, we have a crime epidemic where the uh, Northam's parole board is letting out people who should never get out. On the other hand, you have people's lives being destroyed with felony convictions when they're they've not done any violent crime, and that's not going to help anyone. So it's yeah. it's uh, it's both an issue of overcriminalization, but also under prosecution.
0: Yeah. Well, and and I think too, you know, there's there's studies that have demonstrated that in in most places in Virginia, you're looking at sixty to seventy percent if not more of individuals who have some substance use disorder if not a chemical dependency and over half with a severe mental health issue we don't have the proper treatment in the jails and prisons to give the you know to give our people experiencing incarceration a step up when they leave and so eventually people are going back out repeating the cycle because they haven't actually been treated you know while they've been in custody and to continue the cycle, you know, as a as a simple possession charge, or like you said, nonviolent crimes, you know, we're really we're, we're doing a disservice to those families. We're doing a disservice to the individuals, and we're just doing a disservice to the community because we're not helping anybody. Nathan's opinion. No, um, absolutely, I I agree. And one of the one of the things about the one of the things about the pandemic, the pandemic, has been the, the little programming that there is in jails and prisons, which I you know. I know you don't know my background, but I came, I I had a drug possession charge in 2018, 2017, 2016, excuse me, uh, right after the, right before the election in 2016. And, you know, I I was, there's a first offender's law in Virginia. I continued to use. So the first offender's law went out the window for me. I violated in pretrial. I I wasn't, there's a long, you know, I'm not blaming other people. I just didn't have access to anything else at that point. And you know, this was in Warrenton. We're not talking a a, a, a a urban area like if i here in Henrico or Richmond, I probably would have had even in Crystal City, I would have had a better opportunity, you know, to get access to recovery. You know, I just they said, "Okay, come in, pay a cup." <laughs> you know, and I did that until I didn't. And you know, I, I ended up violating and I became a felon, and I was sentenced to 2 years in prison for a minuscule amount of, of narcotics, and that was, um yeah, you know, that was way, not wavered, I, 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 I served two years of probation on that, but it was over my head for those two years. Now, with that, you know, I look at that and I think, you know, in jail, there was a program, McShin program, right? And so I, I was given a, an opportunity to meet people who had been in my shoes, you know, who came in, shared that authentic lived experience. During the pandemic, all the programs across the Commonwealth have been, can- you know, were canceled. Some are still canceling. we're still struggling to get back in. So we've been fighting to get back in just to give the bare minimum of access to recovery. When we get when we get back to whatever normal looks like, you know, in six, eight, 10, 12 months from now, you know, how do we do a better job at a, you know, making sure that we aren't criminalizing an addiction. Uh, a, a, Healthcare crisis and how do we do a better job of treating the healthcare crisis that is the underlying cause of whatever the criminal behavior is in the jails for the for the individuals? How do we do that better?
1: Well, well, first I, I want to say I, I don't think it's just a we get back to normal and wait. We we are going to have to actually uh, push to uh, to get these services back in place and to make sure there isn't another lockdown, another shutdown. That'll cut everything off again. I mean, if there's another stay-at-home order, even just a county one in Arlington, uh, that would be devastating for people in recovery. It was last time, and that's why I think uh, we need to put a law in place that preemptively prohibits a municipality from issuing those kind of orders. Um, but then, then yes, then we need to look at uh, look at uh, prosecution issues, look at the the penalties. We don't want to be felonizing people for for an illness. That's that's wrong. That's not helpful. It's not helpful to them. It's also not helpful to the communities.
0: Yeah. Well, so you're in Crystal City. Tell me, do you have a family there? Do you? Uh, what- no. So I was I was
1: born in New York, and my uh, uh-huh. my mom's up up there. My dad's in Illinois. So I'm uh, I'm I came to Crystal City as an adult, but it is a is an amazing community. Uh, of very friendly people, very hardworking people, and uh, yeah, and it's 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 a great place to be, to be. Now, you, I think you were in Crystal City before me, didn't you? Say you used to used to live there.
0: I didn't live there. Uh, my mom worked there in the uh, mid to late '90s, and we used to go down there, you know, sometimes. Um, and, and all the Crystal City underground was there. And I thought that was really neat. You know, I, w- I was a kid born in, I was born kind of raised in the suburbs of Philadelphia, New Jersey. You know, uh, my dad's Navy, so we traveled a lot. But, you know, so that was really, it was a unique experience at the time. And then as I got older, um, I ended up moving to Northern Virginia as well. Um, lived with my mom in Annandale and then in Manassas, and I lived in the city too. But as Crystal City, you know, morphed and changed over the last, what, 10, 15 years, really, um, you know, I did get to go down there a lot uh, to do some of the things that I did in my addiction. But but also just to, to experience the, the beauty of it, the, the the diversity of the food and the and the, just the walkability. It's become a very walkable community now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, so why this issue? Why you know you you all you know I, I I sent out a blank email a blanket email to everybody running for office throughout the Commonwealth, however many that is. There's you know like 100 and probably almost 200 of y'all. Uh, if for the House of Delegates and then another four or 500, you know state local I mean local things uh, as well. You responded back, and I appreciate that. I'm really grateful you did. But what was it that attracted you to respond back to us about about what what was it about McShin? with a podcast that uh, had you call us back? Well, I don't
1: want to get too personal, but I certainly have known a lot of people who've uh, who've suffered with addiction. I think Mm. it is a major crisis facing our country. I think it's also, and our commonwealth, I also think it's an issue that doesn't have easy solutions, that doesn't really fit into partisan boxes. And I I think it's really important that. uh, I, I think it's really important that I hear from, uh, from people with, with any solution they might have. I think we need to be talking about this issue. And I don't mean talking about it on a slogan er, uh, way, but talking about it as in actually,
0: what can we come together to do about this? Yeah. And so to tell you, you know, more about what we do, right? The McShin Foundation um, is celebrating its 17th, I guess we've started our 18th year now, we celebrate it in July, 17 years. And before that, uh, John and Carol, our founders, John Schenholzer and Carol McDade, McShen. <laughs> it's, it. I love that actually. But you know, they 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 are two people who are in recovery. They have lived experience. Um, Carol actually works uh, as a lobbyist in D.C. She lobbies for uh, uh, health care issues, usually mental health and substance use disorder issues. Uh, but the two of them, before creating McShen, would have People dropped off at their house and they would, you know, have have somebody detoxing on the couch, you know, getting them back up, starting that you know, John ran a paint company for for years and years and years, and he would just have, you know, take people out, go paint, you know, spend the day, make money, and and help people that way. And then of course it became a they had a they had a young child at home, so it became apparent that they needed to not have people detoxing on the couch. But so now we have, uh, currently we have 12, about to have 13 houses here in the Henrico and one in Chesterfield uh, area. And we have about 130 some odd beds. And so we're, we're a drop-in center. We're an organization that has jail programs. I told you I came through a jail program. Um, we have a recovery community organization. We have programming all throughout the day here at, um, at our facility and that programming you know touches on all different topics but you know it's open it, it's open to the public we've been adapting and accommodating because of covid but we've maintained every single day i'm really proud about that the entire pandemic we never once shut our doors and said we can't take anybody we've adapted we've accommodated and what i what i why i say that so much is because We're a non-governmental organization. We are a nonprofit organization. We are CAPRIS accredited, which is a a national accreditation for recovery community organizations. We are accredited through VAR. uh, uh, We're certified through VAR, which is the Virginia Association of Recovery Residences, so that we meet all the standards. We're a founding member of VAR. We meet all the standards that, that VAR sets out and exceed them, and we help to replicate that with other organizations. You know, what I'm showing you here is that The model is the non-governmental organizations. Now, we have the Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Services, which does great work. You know, uh, Delegate Willett, who chairs the subcommittee that goes over DBHDS, he has uh, one or two of our houses in his district over here. And, you know, he's great. They do wonderful work. But while we've been able to accommodate and adapt, you know, the government has shut down. The jails have released people early without proper housing plans or, you know, aftercare plans. Which, in many ways, I support this, but at the same time, I recognize that people are dying because the drugs are harder. They've been, they've been detox. You know, they've already been off the drugs for a while. While treatment centers close their doors, we stayed open. Organizations like McChen Foundation, the non-governmental organizations, and so, why I say all that is that if you get elected, we're going to ask you to continue to support our mission and to continue to support, you know, things like making sure that we have like diversion, um, alternative sentencing, you know, set up. You know, we talk about I was in a meeting earlier today talking about more drug courts. And I I support where that's going as an idea, but we need to make sure that whatever drug courts are in place are evidence based using, you know, recovery uh, 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 recovery programs that actually work and aren't just making people do things that prevent them from having successful employment or tears them away from their family. Um, support reclassification from of simple possession from a felony to a misdemeanor. You know, you were talking earlier, I'm gonna hold you to this, you were talking earlier about not, you know, criminalizing the, the addiction problem, and that's one way. And I can't tell you how many people of every party who I've talked to who say, we can't arrest our way out of addiction who continue to push for more arrests of people who are in the throes of addiction all the time. So if you're there, you know, we need champions. You know, we need champions, red, blue, green, whatever, you know. Um, Carrie Coyner put in a bill. She's in Chesterfield. She put in a bill. This really pissed me off this year. Okay. Uh, she put in a bill. Um at the beginning of the year, uh, beginning of last year, before, right before the pandemic, and it was the Chesterfield. Uh, it was the Recovery High School, right? And it was an overwhelming bipartisan support. And then when the when the COVID happened in March, um, the governor removed all funding for all new programs, and so the high school was shelled for a while. When the ARP fu- yeah, right. When the ARP funding was just uh, discussed in the second special session a few weeks ago, or I guess what, a month ago or so? Um, they didn't include that. Overwhelming bipartisan support, and they wouldn't include it. And honestly, it was completely off my radar until the last minute, because I just assumed it would be taken care of. And so we're scrambling to do all the advocacy and stuff, we couldn't get the funding. And I blame <clears throat> Nathan Mitchell, not McShin. but I'm blaming it on partisan gridlock, you know? Anyway... We're looking for champions. We're looking to support the non-governmental organizations. We're looking to support evidence-based practices, community-based practices. Um, We could go into harm reduction, but that's a topic that gets really sticky for everybody. So including people in recovery, but so McShin Foundation, that's kind of what we do. And we're a a nonprofit organization. We take this message right here. um, And of course it gets distributed through uh, right here now, through Facebook, it takes us to Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. And I'll give you links to that, by the way. But the coolest thing that we do, and at really born from the pandemic, is take this, package it, we give it to Paytel, which controls the tablets that individuals who are currently experiencing incarceration use in a lot of jails and prisons. And then they make that available for individuals to use and see and watch for free. And it's a really neat thing that we do because we're able to still continue to put hope shots in when we haven't been able to get programming in. So here's some solutions for you. Um <laughs> <laughs> fund the things that work. Um, quit trying to fund the things that don't work. Um, what I, and I appreciate the anonymity and the not wanting to talk about personal things, you know, and 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 we get that a lot. You know, that's that's uh there's a woman who was running for delegate. In the sixty-sixth or sixty-fifth, uh, she's the Democrat uh, Caitlin Coakley, and um, young, wonderful, wonderful woman. She was here on uh, on on Saturday for the recovery fest, and Friday, a friend of hers, and I can tell the story because she told it publicly at the you know. At the, the, but a friend of hers, you know, had 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 uh, died of an overdose. You know, um, and we hear that so much, you know, both parties, all parties. Yeah. Um, what do you hope to do uh, when you're in your first? I, obviously, Amazon's a big deal. And, and, um, I, I, and I, I understand why that, uh, that might, that, that's a, a big deal for you. Um, there's a tiny part of me that says they just started paying $18 an hour. Um, but that, that's, that's just maybe my, you know, I work in nonprofits, so I don't make a lot of money. And I live in Richmond, which is a lot cheaper than Northern Virginia. So there's a part of me going $18 an hour is a lot of money. Uh, But at the same time, supporting small businesses and ensuring that we're recovering from the pandemic. What else do you want to do? You know, you're going to have a whole slate of new people in office come November or come January. What would you want to do in your first couple of days? Uh, Well,
1: the, my first couple of days, uh, the, the, big, the big priorities are fighting Amazon, but that, the, the first way we do that is by banning future lockdowns because that's, mm. that's what they've made rich. They, uh, they censored uh, the anti-lockdown writers. Uh, the reason they did that is because it was making them rich. So what I would do is uh, pass a common carrier law uh, that says that uh, so long as they're claiming these liability immunities from both the Commonwealth and the federal government, they would have to uh, respect the 14th amendment, let anyone uh, let every viewpoint on their platform. I'd also uh, pass uh, pass a bill or introduce legislation to prohibit lockdowns from being imposed at the county level anymore or at the state level, because the very threat of that being out there, it's killing our businesses. Nobody wants to invest if they're afraid they're gonna get shut down. The other thing is I want to prohibit future school closures. Uh, they Right now, Arlington Public Schools are finally open five days a week, um, but they're, they're not going to be forever if we don't ban these future shutdowns. Uh, they're, they're already threatening to close it again. So I, I want to keep schools open. I want to fight Amazon, pass a common carrier law, and I want to provide tax relief for Virginians. The gas tax has just gone up again. The motor vehicle tax is scheduled to go up next year. That's absolutely devastating. Uh, I also support uh, Glenn Youngkin's plan to uh, to stop uh, taxing the income of uh, military retirees. That's making them uh, leave the state or change their residency out of the state. It's not actually bringing in any. Uh, having these taxes is not really bringing in any revenue to Virginia. It's just keeping out uh, keeping out people who would be spending money in our communities. So those would be my top uh, my. Day one priorities. Now, when it comes to the uh, the recovery community, uh, it's it's going to take longer to to find solutions. It's going to be uh, year by year funding, uh, funding the right programs, uh, changing our uh, the structure of our court systems. Um, I think the goal should be to. Uh, Virginia is doing better than uh, than some other states. And my my biggest fear is that uh, that states like Massachusetts or Pennsylvania, where I used to work, that those failed policies would come here um, and that the addiction would skyrocket because it, it w- it's absolutely devastating up there. I mean, it's devastating here. But if we start emulating their their policies, uh, we're going to look at uh, at addiction rates like our, our Commonwealth has never seen.
0: There's a there's a big push in Virginia by a lot of advocates. um, And I know this because I'm one of them, (laughs) but but pushing to move towards a Portugal model of treating addiction. And I don't know if you're familiar, but, you know, Portugal legalized well or decriminalized or legalized all drugs back in, I think, 2000 or 1998 or something, you know, almost 20 years ago or a little over and with that and, and portugal's got a population of i think 5.5 million or something like that virginia is like 8.7 i think or 8.6 and so you know it's 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 not a be, the it's not a great comparison but it's it's close enough when you look at portugal the numbers went dropped like 90 percent overdose deaths in a few years in just a few short years and which led to uh what happened i don't know if you're familiar with what happened in oregon this past when did this happen? Just uh, in November, I guess, and went into law in by February. Yeah. yeah, by ballot initiative, and we're already seeing. what I, you know, we're already seeing. I think some some issues with that. I mean, I, you know, one thing is they didn't mandate the the healthcare assessments. So in in effect, when we had somebody on from Oregon a couple months ago, you know, he said there was four hundred and some odd people who'd been charged at that point, and all of them had paid the fine, um, had opted to pay the fine i don't know what that means now i mean it, we were talking two or three months in at that point but that means you know that already we can see that that if we're not getting the healthcare assessment if we're not getting the introduction of recovery we're not doing the work that needs to be done and in portugal it's a mandate you know you get a, if you're arrested well if you're found with drugs in portugal you know you pay a fine or you you are mandated to the recovery healthcare care assessment or whatever they call it and you essentially get assessed and, and whatever you do depends on whether you pay a fine or you move forward with some kind of treatment plan. And you can see in, in the numbers that it's working. It's working, you know, which takes care of, incidentally, a lot of secondary crime. You know, a lot of the, the, the crimes that are committed in, in 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 pursuit of the drugs and the alcohol. So as a, as, for, as far as a crime reduction, you know,
1: what? Well, absolutely. I, I would support uh, not giving felony convictions, not sending people to jail for for simple possession. I'm a little hesitant about the the Oregon model, which seems to just be changing it to a ticketable offense, which means wealthier people basically get off and uh, poorer people uh, end up in jail anyway because they can't pay the fines. Mm. Uh, I don't think Oregon is really investing in... I don't think the Oregon the Oregon's ballot initiative is encouraging people to get treatment. I think it's just ignoring the problem and I think it's gonna, the is gonna swing and it'll be crazy the other way. Um, I, I also am really concerned about what Philadelphia did, which is they basically designated areas where they're like, we don't wanna enforce there. It's gonna be safer if we can have, have people oversee the use of drugs there. So we're gonna cut down enforcement in these parks and what happened was overdoses skyrocketed, crime skyrocketed. So that is something I would be concerned about. So full decriminalization, which I get is not what Oregon did, but is where they're headed. That's not something I would support, um, to be honest with you. Yeah. But I would agree that uh, that giving felony convictions or just sending people to jail for possession is not the solution either.
0: Well, that's a that's a pretty open-minded viewpoint there. Which is striking to not striking to me because it's you, but striking to me because you know we had a bill this year um, that w- or was it last year that would have declassified or declassified d de- de- <laughs> um it's been a long day I'm sorry <laughs> defelonized reclassified uh, simple possession charges and it was it was put in by uh, Delegate Sally Hudson uh, she's in Charlottesville. And the bill didn't even get out of subcommittee. And the problem with that is like, you know, of course, we're looking at a all blue house and all blue Senate, a blue governor, a blue attorney general, and, and we can't even get this bill out the door. So you're giving me hope that there's a bipartisan, bipartisan side that we need to, to, to really talk to more. You know, we do get a lot of bipartisan support, um, but I think on this particular issue, you know, demonstrating that Oklahoma, Alaska, you know, these are states that are not uh, not liberal, you know, playgrounds. You know, these are states that have looked at this issue and, and found that it was better to treat it differently. So I, I appreciate that. I appreciate your candor on all of that. Um, I don't have the facts and figures for Philadelphia, and I don't have the information, you know, to, to, to sit here and spout off. Uh, about harm reduction and these safe injection or safe consumption sites, uh, I know that there was a state—I I, I, want to say Rhode Island—that just legalized a safe injection sites. The whole state did. Um, I don't know how that's been implemented, if it has been, because it just happened. Uh, this is something I'm, you know, personally not as McShin, but personally very, very interested in because you know one of the things that that happens very often is you know people will overdose and they will not be taken to a hospital. They'll not be given crucial care. You know? So making sure that individuals have access to naloxone, uh, making sure that uh, we, we, we don't criminalize people getting help, um, which means the Good Samaritan laws that we have. They've been up and down over the last... Well, they've been up, getting better over the last couple of years, but there have been you know, backlashes and people trying to make them harsher. But that's preventing people from getting the help they need, preventing people from getting, you know, seeking treatment during an overdose or a substance use related emergency. So, I'm I'm interested in what you're saying. I need to look at that myself because I, you know, I don't have the facts and figures on that. My gut tells me that it's better to have, you know, somebody using with somebody else. Um, It doesn't it doesn't encourage the use, but again, I don't have numbers in front of me. I I only have anecdotal, you know, information on that. I'm interested to know more about that though you're studying law and I know that you're studying law at Mason by the way my mom is a student at George Mason so you might come yeah <laughs> she she's 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 getting a degree in in uh, photography but uh it's fine arts because you know why not um and it's it's a great school what is your uh what are you studying what what's the law what what part of law do you want to get into communications law so I no. I won't actually be dealing with
1: uh, with addiction as much in that that area of the law but uh, yeah I want to do communication law which I guess makes sense with the Amazon thing yeah. um, I, I really think that uh, that right now we're we're seeing an unprecedented amount of uh, of control over our communications by a very small amount of people and I think that is deeply concerning and I think uh, the uh, the information we're exposed to during the lockdown, especially when the internet was the only way for people to communicate, really highlighted that. So I'm yeah. I'm excited to get into the, into that field.
0: Yeah. What do you do for fun? <laughs> well, I'm
1: a, I'm a big film goer. I, I love movies. Uh, I'm uh, yeah. And then other than that, just normal stuff: hanging out with friends, going to bars. Now that they're open again. Yeah. Well. All right. So, favorite film? I uh, I like uh, Thirteen Conversations About One Thing. That's a really good movie. I don't know that movie. So it's uh it's about it's with uh, Alan Arkin, Matthew McConaughey. It's about uh about people trying to find happiness in New York. I'd, I'd recommend checking it out.
0: I'm I'm writing it down. Yeah. I, I I appreciate that. I have a a very very comfortable bed and a very very comfortable big giant TV and. I love to sit and watch movies in there. So so we'll look that up. Um, you know, we, do, we used to have some really great film festivals in D.C. We used to do, I don't know, how long have you been in the area? I, I've come and gone a few yeah. times. But, yeah. They used to do Screen on the Green right in front of the Washington Monument. I think they moved that a couple of years ago somewhere else. But, but I remember when they started that. Gosh, probably twenty years ago, and I thought that was the coolest thing. And we we, we went and we watched. We brought a, a picnic um, and watched. Uh, I think, uh, gosh, like 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 uh, what's Wizard of Oz and stuff like that. They're like old movies, but it was a lot of fun. Um, Ten million. Uh, oh oh, we're getting some comments. I didn't even see the comments here. Hey Robert Leg. Hey Robert, by the way, good to see you. Uh, Philadelphia does not have supervised consumption sites um okay what but what they I, I, but i think what you're saying is yeah i think i might have been conflating yes. two different points thank you thanks for clarification robert i appreciate that and robert says 10 million in 2001. what what i don't know what you're referring to robert is that the population of portugal i, can I guess i could google, google that the, yeah <laughs> i'll google the virginia population i
1: think you're right about that eight million yeah 8
0: million. oh I, yeah i have definitely uh i thought portugal was smaller oh no no he's right okay portugal's bigger 10.28 i don't know where i got five and a half million from but anyway still pretty comparable like yeah that. yeah actually that that's actually i think that's a better comparison yeah, yeah. um robert i need to have robert leg so robert leg is an uh is an advocate um, with a sh- with a huge background and all the numbers and knowledge. And I wish you would get on the show with me more, Robert. Um, <laughs> same as Michigan. That's it. Yeah. So 10 million, same size as Michigan. Okay. Um, but anyway, I need to get Robert to fact check us. So going back to the movies, because I had to talk about the fun stuff, right? Um, I remember going and doing that. It was a lot of fun. That's something in recovery that like, you know, we talk about recovery, right? Or I do anyway. We talk about recovery and and when a new person comes in I had some I had a coachy brand well back brand new back to recovery on Saturday, right? And he's sitting here, I'm pointing at my couch. He's sitting on my couch with me. And and as a as a recovery coach, you know, we do these one-on-one sessions where I'm not a therapist or a counselor. You know, I really heavily rely on my lived experience to relate to somebody and and to um, to be a resource provider. You know, and so often, like with this particular coachee earlier today, you know, it's like the, the, the doom of it's never going to be fun. You know, my life is now boring. It's all over. But when we continue to invest in these little things, you know, these fun things like what you're doing, you know, like, well, not you're doing, but movies, newbie nights and, and gyms and, and, and organization, uh, recovery community organizations, you know, we end up having a real good time together. You know, I know that you were busy on Saturday and couldn't come to our recovery fest. Yeah, I was I was actually at a at a funeral. So I'm sorry. Um, I'm I'm sorry to hear that. Um but uh you know, with us, you know, we had you know, we're on covid different things here. So but we still had several hundred people here. You That's know, awesome. and and it was a I, it was a blast. We had families. We had um we had we had the the, the a, a what do you call that? A, a little mobile thing doing doing vaccines, uh, COVID vaccines. You know, we had all the vendors. We had music. We had uh, uh, we had our congresswoman. We had candidates. We had incumbents all here, and it was. I like the political stuff personally, but you know, we also had fun. You know, that was you know people eating. Oh, my God, we eat. You get when when you're in recovery, at least for me. You know, the first thing I started doing was eating. Never stopped. And I always joke about. You'll know that I'm slipping in my recovery if I lose weight. That's that's another story. I'm gonna, I'm 45 years old though, so I need to think about my weight and my blood pressure and all that stuff. But but anyway, yeah, you know, we have fun in recovery. Like we continue to support when we invest in recovery. We're investing in 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 safer communities. We're we're investing in families. You know, we're investing in in a in a better way of. Of doing things. And I think that there are ways that we can do that without breaking the bank. And in fact, there are ways that we can do that that saves the Commonwealth money. You know, saves the Commonwealth money, makes it a safer place for everyone, and, you know, continues to make recovery the epidemic. Robert, I know you're listening. Is there anything you want to ask? Because I know you always got the questions. I'm sitting here staring as if he's (laughs) going (laughs) to respond. You know, you talked about Pennsylvania. Johnny Fab is in Pennsylvania. He's a recovery advocate up there. We're on a on a on a national team together. Actually, all three—Robert, Johnny, and I—are on a, on a team that works uh, grassroots level level, but also nationally on all issues that talk about recovery. You know, and and identifying recovery champions: purple, blue, green, red. Um, to give you an example, last year. Uh, next week, I'm going to Las Vegas for a conference with Johnny Fab, actually, somebody who commented earlier. And we're going with hundreds of recovery advocates. And it's it's a hybrid thing, so virtually hundreds more. Um, Last year, at that same conference in Vegas, which was completely virtual, on the same day, you'll get a kick out of this, the same day, Newt Gingrich spoke, and a few minutes later, Bill Clinton spoke. Same conference, same day. I about rolled out on the floor. I'm 45. I was in D.C. when all that was happening back in the late 90s. And and I just I'm like, that's what recovery means to me. It's like it's not a one party issue. You know, it's everybody coming together, to figure it out. Um, Tim, I want to make sure you get the last word here, buddy. What do you want to tell us about you? And is there anything I've forgotten to ask or anything you want to add? Um, are you single? Do I need to, to help need to get somebody for you? <laughs> no, I, I think we've covered everything. Just, uh, I'd
1: recommend people check out my site, check out uh, my issues. It's kocullenforvirginia dot com. Uh, check out my Facebook page, and and I, I really want to want to thank you for having me on. Thank you for uh, for letting me discuss this issue and uh, for sharing your your thoughts on this. I, I really appreciate that, and I, I really appreciate the work McShane does.
0: Thank you. Thank you really appreciate you coming and, and being willing to share with us and open up with us um I, I really wish you a lot of i i'd say luck but but i wish you a lot of uh good fortune with your law school uh, finishing that up with the election and moving forward and i hope that whatever happens in november that you know you continue to realize that that with some good shit, good shit. <laughs> It's the end of the show. There's some good stuff happening here in Virginia, and that you know we can always find ways to help each other with that. So, anyway, um, our guest today, Tim Kilcullen, in the 49th district up in uh, Crystal City, uh, uh, Bailey's Crossroad. Gosh, all these places. I remember doing all kinds of fun stuff. I love that area. Um, Thank you, everybody listening. Uh, Thank you, Justin, for making this happen. Uh, Doing the we're doing the completely virtual thing today. I'm in my office. We're we're weirded out because we don't have the we have wi-fi but we don't have the hard line i don't i don't get it but that's why i i get paid the nothing bucks to do this and not the big bucks to do that (laughs) but anyway thank you everybody for being here today we'll see uh we'll see you tomorrow joyce will be here with dr diane kaufman she'll be talking about trauma-informed care and she'll be talking about um using the trauma to do creative resilience. So I'm really excited to see that tomorrow. Um, I know Joyce is excited to have Dr. Diane. So thank you all, we'll see you tomorrow. Take care.
1: Welcome to Get In The Herd, a podcast about addiction and recovery brought to you by the McShinn Foundation. If you or a loved one are looking for real discussions about addiction, recovery, stigma, advocacy, and most importantly, hope, then stick around. Thanks for joining us.
0: Now sit back and get ready for another great episode of Get In The Herd.
2: Hi everyone, I'm Honesty Liller. I am the CEO of the McShen Foundation and a woman in long-term recovery since May 27, 2007. I have not used drugs or alcohol. Woo woo! Thank you so, so much to the Richmond Times Dispatch and all of our voters for Get In The Herd podcast. Those podcasts are amazing. Not only has it helped thousands upon thousands of people in their recovery, as well as family members, but it has helped me in my personal recovery. I get to listen to them now in my car, through Spotify and iHeartRadio. And it's just really, really important for us to be innovative in the addiction field and the recovery community. So when COVID hit, we had to be innovative. You know, We really had to think of like, what can we do to reach people that cannot go to 12-step meetings? smart recovery, faith-based, whatever, um, that we're shutting down constantly. So we were innovative here at McShin, Let's start podcast. So with Todd, John, Alex, um, and some other staff, you know, we all just kind of jumped in, who can do what, and um, with Todd's lead and John's lead, The podcasts have been amazing and we're still doing them today. So I want to thank you for all of your votes and all of your energy and all of your support of our mission of healing families and saving lives. Thanks.